our Lord, King Joffrey. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Game of Bones. We've returned. We're back. Finally. Baby. The winter winds are blowing. Well, <laughs> they may be blowing a little bit into the spring and possibly we're, summer. We're seconds into the podcast, and it's already time to get serious. Well, there's just so much to talk about, you know. We forgot how to podcast. There's a lot to look back on in 2015. Such a great year for the show, meaning mm. the HBO show, but also our show. There's a lot to look forward to. We have a big season coming up, and... A book that may or may not be released this year. But we're optimistic. We have some guests that uh, we're going to uh, speak with later on in the show and uh, just uh, tie a nice bow around uh, Storm of Swords. We hope that all of you listening at home had a fantastic holiday season. Yes. We hope that it was good. I know a lot of you sent us correspondence. What a wonderful podcast to listen to on my long drive to go see my Aunt Muriel in Pennsylvania. Mm. Auntie Muriel and the rest of your relatives, we hope that it was a good time. <laughs> Did anyone experience Game of Thrones-centric? I know that we're going to be speaking lots of A Song of Ice and Fire today with our guests, with ourselves, A Storm of Swords. There's a lot of pressure on this episode because we are looking back at 2015 and we are looking forward to 2016. But did your families... Was it a topic of conversation? Because you're all well-known Game of Thrones pundits, as it were. Mm. How were the conversations at home? My mom calls this Dungeons and Dragons show, so that's <laughs> how my, that's how my conversations about Game of Thrones went over the holidays. <laughs> oh man, uh, my conversations actually, I I typically bend to the will of uh, my would-be brothers-in-law who are much bigger than me and dictate the topic of conversation. And every year it is football. And this year, I think we saw the Bears play another team. And that was the entire conversation for the whole day. So no, but I thought about Game of Thrones a lot because there was a lot of news that came out and a lot of things that greeted us in the, in the new year and stuff. So it's never far from my mind. Um, but family gatherings are, are scarce. I have uh, you know, some family that is really into the show. I went to uh, see some cousins up in Connecticut, uh, brought them some Game of Thrones beer, which uh, surprisingly they told me uh, they were huge fans of already and they couldn't wait for the new one to be released mm. uh, in just a couple of months. Mm. So uh, I am, uh, I guess, taken back a little bit. But I guess that, that really shows you, you know, the, the, the reach. The reach of the show that yeah. there's so Connecticut. Many people... <laughs> the show is in Look, Connecticut. Let's let's be real about Connecticut, okay? <laughs> it's an interesting state. I guess we could we could tease now that we're having Doug from Brewery Oma Gang on this actual episode. Eric and I had yes. a small conversation with him to talk about the new beer. What a perfect setup for that, Micah. You're a professional. I thought it was a, it was a good holiday gift to give family. So what is it now? We're it's it's January 2016. 2015 was it our favorite year of the podcast? Ooh. Would you guys say? Oh, definitely for for live events. Yes, Con, live show in Chicago, New York Comic Con with everyone that was there. I mean, New York Comic Con is gonna, I think, even in the years to come, be a hard card to beat. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's that's <laughs> not something. I know we talked about it a lot. Yeah, that that night and I, much footage abound on both our Patreon and our. Uh, regular podcast feed. I know the episodes up and footage and just all the hijinks we got into in New York City with Hannah for the first time. Uh, even though we were all at Kiki this year, mm-hmm. uh, this was the first time we were together as goo hosts, and it was magical. Yeah, it was really fun. We've also had a ridiculous amount of 
like you were just saying, Eric, the fact that New York Comic Con was captured and we were able to sort of throw that up on the Patreon feed outside of, you know, the the actual podcast they create. But those of you who are listening at home that are interested enough to <laughs> watch things like that apart from the podcast that we listen to, that's pretty cool. So a lot of that stuff went up in 2015. This episode is important to us because we're looking back, but we're also looking forward. And we do have some very important stuff to talk about at the end of the episode. We have a few guests on. This is sort of a ridiculous variety show because we've recorded a handful of things to put into this episode and we couldn't really decide 100% how to put a bow on such a great year. So we just decided to have a few conversations. And on top of that, we have to talk about finishing A Storm of Swords. The last episode we left you with was literally titled Lady Stoneheart. Uh, (laughs) More on that later when we tease. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of pressure, but thank you for listening because you give us all a reason to try harder at things that we love doing, which I think is a good practice in general. That was a big moment in and of itself, right? The fact that we went to such a major part of this story that really half of us had no clue of. Yeah, and right. you know, had heard rumors of for such a long time. Old but... pudding face. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just look at that as being a big moment for our podcast going into that territory where, you know, certainly we've come across things in the series over the course of reviewing the last three books, but nothing that is of the level of something like Lady Stoneheart. So just to hear the reactions of both you and Eric and to have that discussion, it it's kind of like, for me, over the last couple of years, having gone through these big moments in the series that you're seeing on television for the first time, but here we all are reading the book, and we get to experience it together and, and see what the reaction is like. Yeah. There's just been so many big moments with the show, too. We're all kind of on the same page, as we've been talking about. So we're, it's just at a very exciting point. Season five, a, a season where we got to see Valeria... <laughs> among several other great things. And um, I'm just like hung up on the mythology of this world, which again was you know prominent in the reality of Lady Stoneheart and in the off-season theories about Jon Snow. Well, judging specifically from the teaser material, I believe that the mythology is going to be amped up to a critical degree, hopefully as we go further in the books, but also on the show. And that's something I'm really, 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 really excited about because at at the the bottom of it all, I know for the four of us and probably the same as for all of you listening at home, just the the history and the architecture of, of how the story comes together and how these people are able to live in a world that operates in this way is was probably the most fascinating thing about, about it all and how it sort of works together. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. And I would say, too, major moments on the show in terms of characters leaving us, Jon Snow notwithstanding, you, you think about Barristan Selmy, you think about pretty much all of the Baratheons, uh, with the exception of Gendry, who is rowing Gendry. somewhere <laughs> out in Blackwater Bay. Uh, it, was a, it was a pretty impactful season because from a book reader perspective, and I, and I know we touched on this when we were doing the episodes, but many of these characters have not yet died in in the books and so that's a huge twist for us because as this is something george alluded to in his post recently i know we'll talk about it later but the fact that you do have characters that have been killed off in the show that may never die in the books or may just take a little bit longer to die or 
you know, characters that have just never made their way into the show that are obviously integral to the plot of the series. So it's interesting being in that position where you're trying to navigate the two mediums, the book and the show, and they're really getting to a point now where I think you have to treat them as as two separate entities. And season five was the season that went into that uncharted territory that that sort of first touched heavily upon the com- well and and saw the completion of existing story arcs for characters and has it's gone beyond what is currently published. It was the first season to to really do that, with the exception of I think that ice palace with the I was the bad so guy. So glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I yeah. Was the same but thing. I mean, just like in in general, this is it's a turning point in the TV show, which is ever growing in popularity. And I know with the book stuff and George R. R. Martin's post too, he's he talked about this, but you know, this the T V series is is ever more going to be the predominant source of information. I don't know if that's actually that sounds way offensive me saying this, but like It's just so big, Eric. It's hard to really judge. Mm-hmm. It's because it's grown to not surpass the books, but we're getting more of it quicker than we are the books. And that season season six is going to be a mammoth season. It was already going to be that, but now even more so without a, a big new book release uh, to sort of taper um, to keep people. This is going to be our primary source of Game of Thrones for the next foreseeable you know future is this coming show. And it's just like, wow. So buckle up. There is a lot to talk about. We've been planning this for a while and, one of the best ways to have this type of a discussion is with somebody who knows a lot about what happened over the course of the last year, somebody who is very close to the news on a regular basis, who lives and breathes this stuff even more than we do. And uh, that is Sue from Watchers on the Wall, who I think it's fair to say has an opinion or two about recent events. <laughs> have a whole podcast of hannah just heaving yeah <laughs> like, i'd be pretty it wouldn't be too different from the norm so <laughs> all right so that's going be to like be sexy our uh-huh. introduction for this part <laughs> <laughs> say hello to sue everyone sue. hello my dearest my dearest sue hi it's been many months since we had to part actually i think three yeah so but. not that many sue Made the long trip up north to our event for New York Comic Con, A Night of Ice and Fire. I did. My old stomping grounds in New York City. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for coming. I'm always happy to visit and always happy to talk to you. Did you have a good time? I did. I had an amazing time. And it was, uh, I wasn't quite sure what to expect just because, you know, you never know what you're going to get with a live event, kind of a, a mixed bag of people. But it was so amazing. First of all, seeing fire the fire and lunch group, like, you know, Rachel and Jenny and Katie and everyone. And in person. I just, I love them. And, you know, hanging out with David and, well, actually both Davids, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't know, all the fans, everyone was just so cool. It was just like a really laid back 
kind of group gathering. Yeah. Even though we're having this conversation with you, Sue, and we're talking about so much more, part of this episode has been us just sort of looking back fondly on 2015. And it was a really fond, wonderful time. And I guess our tie-in for Watchers on the Wall for the news, it's just, first off, it was a big deal uh, last year, if you remember. Of course you remember. And I can't even say last year. Yes. (laughs) And now it's been, we're heading right now into our second season at Watchers on the Wall. Yeah, I can't believe how much time has passed and I feel I feel kind of like we've been at this website forever. I honestly I can barely kind of remember how we did things at yeah. the other website. But I think for hopefully for the readers it was not too jarring a transition. That was that was our major goal was to keep it, you know, really comfortable and still kind of a lot of the the same pluses and so yeah, hopefully it was more of the same good stuff and more new good stuff yeah <laughs> so if you're familiar uh listening to our podcast people we're speaking to you now with watchers on the wall it's where we exist on the internet it's this large community of game of thrones a song of ice and fire fans etc cetera, etc cetera. if you listen to this podcast you most likely are a reader and if you are a reader you're familiar with certain things that have been shown to the world and the internet via our website <laughs> about the upcoming season. So this is now where we say to Sue, how do you feel about season six? Because you're like, you know, the funnel that all of this goes through before people end up reading it on the website. And I love that. I'm just going to put you on the spot right now. Surety knows what happens. She's, I know. She's... I know some of it, but I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes people assume I know a lot more than I do. I mean, we feel, and we, I think sometimes we feel like we know everything, but then if you actually kind of look at a post of everything we know, they're actually very good. The people at Game of Thrones are very good at hiding everything. So, I mean, I mean, I'm very excited. You ask, you know, how I feel about the yeah. season going ahead. We're looking at almost everything is off book and we can predict, we can guess, but we just don't know. So it's it's kind of amazing. We're and I know people say, "Oh, we're all unsullied." We're not. I mean, it's it's not quite the same. But to have we have all had all these theories all these years, and to actually start to see like you know maybe some, I don't know how much you want to talk about it, but like some flashbacks or things like that that might start to start to confirm some of the you know, old histories and ideas and things like that that we've been talking about for decades. So it's pretty exciting going ahead. Yeah. And of course, it, it feels a little risky, too, because we're going off book and there's a whole thing about, you know, George R. R. Martin has just really admitted that the show is pretty far ahead of him. And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, he's not going to get that book out, the next book out anytime soon. <laughs> I wanted to have this conversation for the show because everyone listening at home i feel like it, it it's it's strange when you think about it but this is the place that we've all sort of come to and i think that the pressure and really just the importance of it all also met with george r, r. martin which is why he he did what he did and did something that he doesn't normally do he he said himself like the, to to come out and to write such a personal approach to news on the winds of winter this is a, just the simple fact that it happened it's something that people have been guessing at yeah. For so long, whether it be in the comet fields, whether it be in social to us or the site and just the community in general, the winds of winter has been basically since the this podcast began has been sort of a trump card. Like we don't know anything about it. We've never really had an official um, out of nowhere 
this happens as 2015 ends as we set up for a new year leading into yeah. i mean i think it was the confirmation of what most people were sort of coming to expect because there had been no announcement of any publication of any time soon so people were kind of like okay this isn't looking too good but everyone was kind of like hoping you know maybe we'll be surprised and no no well, see there was always that that hope <laughs> for the surprise there because if there was if there was to be a series right now that would get this new heightened treatment this brand new social atmosphere that we're in if there's a book that's being anticipated so much and that would have maybe an experiment or let's try let's try to do it this way rather than the, the traditional way that books are published wouldn't it be the one that's so anticipated the one that's writing the future of what the largest television series and one of the biggest fandoms uh in in the world right now is attached to i mean if they were if they knew that book was coming they would be giving lots of advance notice. They would be promoting the shit out of it for like six months in advance. So I just don't believe that the whole surprise book is right. like, yeah, I don't believe in that. That was just fan wishful thinking. And I, I don't like scorn that because I have that same like wish, you know, optimism too. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. We're like secretly hoping for it, but realistically, you know, not going to happen. So think when he finally posted it i was just relieved that i was like okay well i'm thinking to myself okay well thank you for telling us yeah, yeah. now we know i was yeah, gonna well, ask though know. how did you feel about his candidness because he was pretty candid i mean you, you could tell the emotion was there in the post that he made and it, he really didn't feel good in any way about it. he feel in some way at least from what i read that he was letting his readers down in in large mm -hmm. part and i i i don't think that he necessarily needed to come across that way i mean he could have just simply put out a tweet he could have made it a very short post but i yeah. thought he was very genuine in his response i mean he could have put out the blog equivalent of i'm not your bitch <laughs> but he didn't you know right. he, he basically like went on his knees before his readers and was like i'm sorry this is everything i did over the last you know year or two to try and you know cut down his obligations and he explained everything he did so you know he tried he was very apologetic so and he could have just been like fuck off or he could have given no explanation like many Kept many writers do so um, yeah i mean I, I do feel for the guy even though of course i feel the disappointment you know somebody who desperately wants to read his book yeah, yeah i feel that way too but i agree I I don't think he had to, but I think the pressure of season six upcoming yeah. made it so he had to say something because otherwise, you know, those who have been with him for close to 20 years, uh, if not maybe even longer than that, ha are, are faced with the fact that the story that they've been reading is now going to be told on screen first and there's a really good chance that they could get spoiled on major plot. A guarantee. It was such a kind thing that he did, not allowing that optimism, that incredible hopefulness that maybe the book would be released by a surprise or, you know, like a, a genuinely new approach to the book. Uh, the book's publication would take place at some point between now and season six. It was really kind of him to, at the start of the year, 
just say definitively, you don't have to be looking forward to this. You don't need to feel the anticipation. You don't need to have some kind of a hope or a stress that between yeah. now and late April, the book's going to come out. I just thought it was a very noble thing to do. It was noble. Yeah. It was very timely, too. I mean, he had just blown the second deadline, and that was the last deadline. That was the, you know, and he told us all this in the, in the post. Right. This, was, this was the very last moment that I could have turned the book in and it's it's not there yet and he did get down on his knees in front of his fans i think and it's it's a certain man who'll do that it's you know puts himself in a vulnerable position to be even further criticized which he didn't need to do um you know and it's like you you just genuinely i think reading that reading how he talks about good days and bad days for writing and you know about his process and things that he expects and things that he hopes for uh, in himself, it's just it's it's crazy. You're reading this, going, how could I be be mad? This guy's clearly like more shook up about this than like. Well, I mean, not more than the fans, but he's he's clearly hurting. Uh, so I I felt I just read that and felt nothing but um, sadness because the the position of stress that he must be in, the the ton of pressure that must be down on him, cannot make the writing process that much easier uh, for him, and cannot produce good days more often than it can bad i would think mm-hmm. you yeah, know it, right. it, it was very emotional like you were saying to read just because of the way he was kind of coming to us on his knees and also for us as book fans to kind of reconcile this idea that we're going to be spoiled essentially i i mean what's a spoiler i think that's another conversation but Which, yeah mm-hmm. It's just interesting, like, the the show is pulling ahead of the books. Sue's talking about, you know, fan theories getting paid off because they show up in the show first. It's crazy to think about. And this is something that we're that's going to be reality in three months and change of, you know, years and years and years of speculation getting paid off and, and not in the format that spawned the speculation in the first place. George sort of touched on it in his post, and it's something that we've been – touching on and a point that I've sort of tried to reiterate over the past handful of months, I would say maybe in the past couple of years on the podcast, which is I think we're, we're moving, we're moving into a new landscape of, of how these stories are sent to us. And I think this is just, it's going to take some big Titans, things as large as game of Thrones to meet how technology is delivering us stories created by other people that have payoffs, that have things that can be spoiled. Because if something reaches the scale where so many people are interested in knowing what happens, then chances are that's going to be adapted in several different formats, and several different formats are approached in different ways. And this isn't what happened with Harry Potter, where the movies are being released in such a way where the books are being staggered, and it's just sort of worked out like this. George said himself he didn't expect the show to catch up to the books like he is, and I can't even imagine the positions he's in right now. Because it, it must be, I don't know, it must be difficult knowing that certain things will be given up in the sixth season. But at the same time, like he said in his post, I guess that's okay because, you know, it's all just it's it's all just living in the same atmosphere. Does that make sense? I'm just, mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about all this, honestly. Well, Micah and I were talking about in the Patreon episode where we talk about this. Micah brought up a really good point that I'm going to steal from you and then you can build off of it. But how George is essentially giving the showrunners an opportunity to tell his story and before he's able to completely you know write it the way that he wants and how that's an interesting i thought that that was an interesting point i guess at the end of the day it only matters to him and how he feels about it it 
you know, we can yeah. feel the way that we do. But an audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At, right. at the end of the day, it's it's his story. So he has to live with somebody else most likely getting to the end before he does, which you know, he's a part of it. it. It's not like he's removed from what HBO is doing and what right. Benioff and Weiss are doing. He's a huge integral part of that day in and day out. But if I were the author, I would have a little bit of reservation about that, just knowing how long I've been working on it. I mean, at this point, I think he's just looking at it as the way he said that the story as Benioff and Weiss are finishing it is going to finish one way and his may finish an entirely different way. So it's not even necessarily that they're spoiling his story or take, you know, in any way taking it away from him. You know, some, some things will be spoiled just because, you know, he, he, I'm sure he's already talked, talked to them about it, but you know, the answers to some mysteries. But I think a lot of minor plot points and and then, for example, the fact that they've killed off some people who aren't dead in the books, right. things like that, you know, mm-hmm. they're telling at this point two sort of different stories. So we kind of have that to look forward to that even with the show undoubtedly finishing first, we're still going to get two different stories and two different journeys and still going to be absolutely worth it. So there's comfort in that. Do you think given the time George would make book seven as far different from the TV series as possible? I mean, I think he has his game plan. And at this point, I don't think he's going to like, you know, be petty in that way. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's going to do no. Veer off just for the sake of veering off. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think he'll do that. Well, there's over 800 comments right now on Marco's post when he added this to the website. And I, right. I haven't had the chance to read through them all, but if you could, like, what do you, what do you, what's the take for people in the community? Like, how do people feel about this? I mean, it's mixed, but I mean, there are a lot of people who are quite sympathetic and some people who are not so sympathetic. But I have been surprised by happily. By the extent to which people are very understanding and will make allowances, you know, people accept the fact that he's a human being and it is what it is. I think, you know, Watchers being a show centered website, that certainly helps. You know, if you look at websites that are more book centered, they're not going to be quite so friendly in their attitude about it. <laughs> so there are there are sort of different little you know subcultures within the Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire fandoms, depending on which websites. The one thing everyone can agree on, though, is that we want both the show and the book to be as good as possible. And so I think it's worth the wait. But, but that's another thing that kind of brings up George's own words, right? He said he's just going to be able to be, he's going to make the best book possible. Mm-hmm. He didn't that's for a second so say that he was confident that the book would actually be any good. Which. <laughs> well. It's kind of terrifying. He's actually. in the middle of writing it, though. Like, <laughs> if we, how? If, but if we can talk, but he was again. It was like to the point of like humility and humbleness and and all of that, where he's he's prostrating himself and he's like, oh, I'm gonna make the best book I can. That's all I can promise. Well, he probably feels like crap right now. Yeah. yeah, he's in the middle of the creative process, and I don't think anybody who is in the middle of writing a book is gonna say this is awesome, or is gonna be <laughs> able to as even assess that right because right. you just don't. No, so, if no. you're that swamped. Okay, all right. I don't know. I feel like James Patterson when when, when he was writing <laughs> books, he was like, "Oh, this awesome. is so good." <laughs> Maybe <laughs> if he ever wrote, it, I'm not sure. This post, <laughs> if anything, illustrates how human 
all of this is. I know it's easy to sometimes see Game of Thrones or even Song of Ice and Fire as this huge titanic thing in pop culture that has a military behind it making it possible. And so it's easy to get spoiled and expect lots of great things. Mm-hmm. Some of us, maybe even all of us, are conditioned to sort of, all right, well, here's where's the thing that I like? When can I have it in front of me? And why isn't it here already? But George's right. post just painted such a he is a human and he's working hard he's on trips he's making meetings to explain things with his publishers about not reaching a deadline and giving updates other humans are making strategies around that in order to get the book out to all of us as soon as possible there's a lot that goes into this and at the very bottom of it all is him and wordstar putting together these books and this story and it's got to be a huge huge undertaking and it, it's yeah. got it's even more so now that the show has reached the heights that it has reached because season four was great and the community was, was pumping and I'm glad that you're here for this conversation Sue because you know more than anyone how how the excitement sort of ebbs and flows but just in this mm-hmm. off season we've seen traffic we've seen interest we've seen so much more excitement than ever and it's the off season yeah it's not a season five has been gone for a long time season six is months away and uh all of that pressure translates into a world that George R. R. Martin has to create his story within and for. Yeah, I think it's interesting you mentioned that about like, you know, this it's the off season this year. I mean, up until right now, like right now, we're experiencing the first lull we've actually right. had yeah. since like the end of the season. I mean, it's, it's been crazy busy and with like, I mean, higher, I mean, to be blunt, as far as like, We've had like higher traffic than we had kind of in the old days. Oh yeah. In yeah. in like old seasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm kind of referring back to like the previous website. We're talking about I mean- thrones. <laughs> Jon Snow. People really just care about a good head of hair. Exactly. It's so that pe- simple. All these people who are kind of like, oh, I'm quitting the show. You know, I'm so you know, I'm so upset with it. They're still obsessed with it. You know, the show is more popular than ever. Like it's, I mean, people are obsessed with it, even in the off season. If you think about it, what other show inspires this level of obsession when there hasn't been a new episode in six months? None of us expected Game of Thrones to become as popular as it did. And so now we're just sort of not like George, but in a sense stuck in the same situation where it's like, well, for example, making this podcast episode, well, it's like, well, if we're going to talk about the winds of winter and and George's new post, like let's get Sue from watchers on, like, let's do this right. Let's, let's, let's try to do things better. It's a tough situation, but I've always felt for the guy. I mean, you can't force creative labor. That makes it worse. Oh yeah. I would like to get a really bad book six because it was rushed. I mean, yeah. it's just the, the worst. I think everybody <laughs> can come together and agree on that. Well, he's been writing it. Uh, what for almost four years, probably at this point, maybe he had, a little bit of it prior to uh, the fifth book being released. But yeah, to that point, I remember, and we've talked about this a couple times uh, with respect to JK Rowling and how she felt rushed to get, I th- wasn't it? It was either Goblet of Fire or Order of the Phoenix. She, tur- she, tur- she turned around Goblet in the same time that she turned around. It's half as large siblings. Because she was feeling pressure from publishers because of the movie situation. And, you know, he's kind of in a similar spot. I know he mentioned in his post that he couldn't think of any other author who was in a similar situation. And, you know, but certainly J.K. Rowling was never in the position where Warner Brothers was going to tell her story uh, before she was. But I, I think that it's it's a pretty 
pretty similar set of circumstances uh, for him in that you know, you don't want him to feel the pressure. I, I totally agree because uh, you don't want, after the fact, the author to come back and say, I felt like what I gave you was subpar. If I had a few more months to to write the way that I wanted to, then uh, it would have been a lot better or I wouldn't have made mistakes. I mean, th- you always run that risk as well. Yeah, I think we all sort of desperately wanted the show to succeed so that we would keep getting more seasons of it. But the side effect is that it's so huge that he now has this monster amount of pressure. So it it did become like that double-edged sword. And then the Emmys happened. Yeah, the Emmys. Those damn Emmys. (laughs) So, Sue, what – if I can ask a question now, what is – between now and the season starting, now that there's this – obviously this aftermath from this George R. R. Martin post – are you expecting things to be a little bit normal preseason with like promo photos and cast reports, set reports, that kind of thing? Or is there something else that's going to continue to take sort of the the thunder from that? Like, is this going to be your typical preseason uh, or is it going to be sort of heightened and even worse due to the fact that th- this is now uncharted territory for the series? George R. R. Martin having a delay in his writing is absolutely standard. So we just keep on trucking. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's no big deal. We yep. just spent a lot of time talking. No big deal, guys. Is it... What about the audience being so much larger? I mean, it was huge before. I know, but we, we know how it is leading <laughs> to it. I mean... It keeps going and going. And, uh, you know, more and more promo. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be like there's going to be the promo campaigns are going to be starting. We're probably going to get a, a trailer, you know, within the next month. Usually, we usually get the first real full trailer end of January, beginning of February. And that's, we're going to get season six stuff that's going to start hitting. And we usually do get more casting stuff rolling out as people get sloppy and start leaking. So, yeah, it's going to be normal fun. They have no idea what's going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) We have a a new writer joining the staff. Um, I won't tell you who it is, but he's going to be joining sometime in the next week you'll see a post from him so that's exciting news so i hope all the readers will welcome him over to watchers on the wall if you know i love our readers they've been really great about welcoming all of our new writers and staff <laughs> i wish no damn it he's got to focus on the book he's got other stuff to write i'm just really happy with the last with the way the last year has gone so i'm really glad that the readers have you know, stuck with us and our kind of our growing pains that we always have. And it's been really fun. And I don't know, I love how the site's going and hopefully, hopefully everyone else is enjoying it too. Well, we wanted to have you on. Thank you for, (laughs) (laughs) I'm fucking terrible. Damn it, Zach. (laughs) Sue, Susan, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Doug. Guys, how are you? Douglas. Can I call you Douglas? By all means, man. I've been got I've gotten Dougie Fresh, Douglas Doe, I've gotten it all. It's been a long time since we've seen you in the flesh. I'm surprised. Well, not really surprised, but we haven't talked since October. And I guess this is our way now that we're wrapping up and sort of finalizing the year. I don't I don't know, Eric, what kind of fashion you would call it. I would say in celebratory fashion because we're ending a storm of sores and we're ending twenty fifteen. Like so yeah. we have to call Doug and see if he actually survived a night of ice and fire back in October. I did 
not by the skin of my teeth, and I want to go down to saying I'm the only person that ever survived the Game of Thrones wedding. Wow. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what about Christopher? Did he not make it? I tried to get him to leave, but he really wanted to hang with the phrase, so. Oh. See, he's not joining us here tonight, so we're not in, in the so lore we're, we're, of his, what we're his building. His fate yeah. is uncertain. He's, yeah, we're like, not sure. he's like the blackfish. We're not sure. We just don't know. He might be the Jon Snow of, of this podcast. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we wanted to invite you on the show to say goodbye to 2015 with us and also say hi to the listeners and say thank you for bringing crates of delicious mm. Game of Thrones themed <laughs> beer from Kuriyama <laughs> Gang, which you're a, a large piece of over there. Thank you. Oh, listen, it was my pleasure. And, um, you know, I wanted to thank you guys for having us down. It was it was awesome. I mean, between giving away this stuff to everybody and seeing everybody's reaction when we got that cool nod at the end. And of course, it goes without saying, I got to sh- I got to have a beer with Hodor. So I mean, that right there is the highlight. <laughs> just of Just one, beer. just one, Doug. <laughs> well, for this podcast, I had just one beer with Hodor. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. No, it was great. It was a fantastic night. We we had a blast. You know, we can't wait to work with you guys again. We're working. We want to do something big with Comic Con, NYC Comic Con for next year. So yeah. you know, we're, we're thrilled. We, you know, thank you guys for having us. Thank everybody. Thank you for coming out and listening. Uh, and we can't wait to see everybody again. This is almost even more joyous than I expected, Eric. Like, how do this we handle all these this good is, emotions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, lo- looking back, I mean, I I still can't believe it was what three months ago now, three and a half months actually, because it does feel like yesterday i'm still like excited about it i'm still excited thinking back to it um the one thing i have yet to do is recap the event for my family relations i told my grandmother (laughs) i'd write her a long note because i last saw her right as i was leaving on the on the bus to go to new york city so well and i tried to explain to my dad who's not really a big game of thrones fan why this was such a big deal for us so I, i i got about two sentences in i just you know what I'll send you a video. And that was really all I could do. (laughs) There you go. Well, like, obviously, we're so excited to have (laughs) a part of any of this at all. When we first started the podcast and the communities years ago, obviously, we just the idea of us throwing an event and then inviting the Game of Thrones, the company that puts together the beers for HBO for Game of Thrones is so exciting. Yeah. And I mean, well, I was going to say, if you had told us back when HBO approached us back in 2013, that this is what it was going to grow to and that it was going to become, you know, as impactful as it's been, not just for us, but for the Game of Thrones world, you know, we would have thought you were crazy. Right. Um, it's, it's just been, the response has been out of this world. It's, you know, even from the first beer that we released, uh, Iron Throne Blonde Ale, uh, back in spring of 2013, it's just been the response has been fantastic. And, you know, again, this goes back to how qu- how the show has grown, how you guys have grown with it and how we, you know, we're really honored to be kind of just a little part of what it's of the phenom- phenomenon that it's become. I know that Eric and I were ridiculously excited to see that the original Iron Throne Blondell was being re-released because yes. that kind of slipped under a lot of people's radars. Well, that's putting it lightly. Our entire production went out within the first week that it was available. Wow. Jeez. Now I I finally don't feel so bad for missing it the first time around. It's like I was beating myself up, self-flagellating with like a whip. I can stop that (laughs) now. Uh. (laughs) That was kind of why we did did the two plus one, the the gift pack that, you know, back in spring. And that was a big part of, you know, the... uh, the event that we did together, uh, we did we did a gift pack. So it's going to be those two large bottles, the 750 milliliters right. of uh, Iron Thrones Blonde Ale and uh, Take the Black Stout. Um, you know, Iron Thrones especially, we were really excited to get this back out there because, you know, as you as you mentioned, you know, you, you almost don't want to drink it. And I, I have friends up at the brewery who, you know, 
they put the first crate that they had away and they were like, that's yeah. my kid's college fund in about 10 years. Yeah, so. no, I definitely have some put away too. <laughs> exactly. I, will, I will not say how many of these two plus one uh, boxes I have just in my closets and behind couches and under Christmas trees. Uh, Guys, that's 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 a smart investment. That's what that <laughs> is. That's, well, I just wonder <laughs> if everyone listening uh, feels the same way that we do about this. I I, I feel like they do. I'm sure, they, they do. Get, I know it's just it's part of the response that we get because it's just exciting and, and it's, it has so much to do more than just for the fact that it's 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 beer. But there's something special about the the Oma Gang relationship to this because you guys. I feel like there's such good attention to detail and there's something I don't know after the fact having. The Game of Thrones beer glass to kind of how ha- I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know it yeah. it sounds too it really re- I don't know it sounds ridiculous but it's it's cool to have I'm glad well, that no, you guys are listen, doing it. I, listen, I completely agree, and we we don't really you know we don't really make things unless there's demand for it, and you know right. we we knew putting the glass in there was going to be especially for the 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 the, the Gang fans that have been following the beer since day one they knew mm-hmm. we knew that was going to be a really special thing um between the, uh, the success of iron throne and putting that in there and the you know just the artwork of the take the black stout bottle itself you know we knew this was going to be something that we were going to be really excited to get back in the hands of people that really were looking for it and oh you know it's God. just it's it's worked out great it's you know you guys are clearly building for the future with it it's it's great we're we're so happy with the response Doug, I got to tell you, so this is how many buys. So I, I could spare a box that, that they came in, that the beers came in after I drank them. And uh, I, I pulled out the uh, the Iron Throne in the back, the, the cardboard Iron Throne. And now it sits behind a shelf of my Funko dolls, my Game there of Thrones Funko dolls that I've got. So now <laughs> we have our own little mini throne room for Tyrion and Daenerys and uh, Chrome Darth Vader and Mulder and Scully to, oh, to enjoy. Yeah. Fantastic. I yes. love that. And uh, I just got to try, like you said, I mean, the Blondale, again, I had it at like this public event where we saw uh, Blackwater screened in a theater and there was only one cask and it was gone in another, like another five minutes. It's like, yeah. if that wasn't the very first thing that I did entering that theater, I'd ne- I still never would have tried it until our event. But um, trying it again is great. And my girlfriend's a fan of the Take the Black Stout. She likes a darker beer and I like the lighter beer. So it's a perfect like gift set for both of us. But but that Iron Throne too, just tearing apart and having it as the backdrop to my dolls now makes me very happy. Well, and it's great, too, because, you know, I feel like having the Iron Throne and take the black in one box kind of represents, you know, Westeros and Game of Thrones in a nutshell. I mean, you have, mm-hmm. the, you know, you, you know what's interpreted as the dark and the evil, but that's really, you know, all about, you know, the watch. And that's where the pure is and walking, watching over the world, whereas the blonde is we got we gave that its name based on Joffrey sitting on the Iron Throne, yeah. like one of the mm-hmm. most evil characters ever. So it just kind of. The idea of, you know, it's, you know, it's up for interpretation. It's up for, t- it's your own personal taste. Just kind of in one box is really, really cool yeah. to us. And I'm, I know that one of the reasons we wanted to, I, I, I just, we were bouncing some emails back and forth. And so on our end, we're, we're like, what, how do we, how do we finish 2015 with an episode of our podcast? We just entered a storm of swords. So the episode that you're listening to right now, folks, is that episode. But we were like, they just announced a brand new beer mm-hmm. and, and we should, talked about the beer on the podcast oh. and so yeah, well, now that we have you here can we please just uh for everyone that's listening <laughs> that wants to know about seven kingdoms because I absolutely mean, they can read the press release but i want to ask you how hoppy it tastes is it delicious uh, okay so it's it's got a pretty <laughs> solid hoppy finish but it's not it's not like one of those it's not like an ipa hoppy right is. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a bitter bite to it, but it goes down real smooth. Um, it's got, you know, at the, at the first, when you first sip it, it's got a lemon, t- like an orange and lemon kind of tart, 
with that real, you know, that classic wheat signature taste. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, it's it's I would call it it's a hoppy wheat, but really the only it's it's a wheat beer first and then a hoppy finish. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You get the joy, you get the best of both worlds. You get that smooth start and that like you know real biting finish at the end of it too. Honestly, out of all the Game of Thrones beers that we had, I, I think this is my favorite so far. Yeah. No, I'm excited. I remember when we had Phil on, we were talking about sort of the uh, putting the mind to creating these beers and how do you apply it to the story? How do you how do you make sense? It, not just having a beer in a bottle with the label, but how to sort of marry it to the idea of what it right. is that you're making the theme around. And right. I, lo- I love that the one that people are saying that you're saying, you know, is, is my favorite and that has all these complexities and layers is the one that you're representing with the seven kingdoms. Like that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was, you know, we, going into it, it was, the, this was the seventh beer. So there wasn't really that much discussion about what the name was going to be, you know, seven, seventh beer, seven kingdoms. That said, Every single beer that we, that especially for the spring release, we always kind of try and kind of pull from the previous season beforehand to kind of get some inspiration. Um, and season five was just filled with these ambitious set pieces. You know, the battle with the uh, White Walkers, yeah, you know, some of the stuff with uh, Daenerys and her dragons, really sweeping, ambitious stuff. And that was kind of the basis for this. We wanted to do something that was a, a true nod to that ambition. Um, and then we took, a st- we took it another step. And we looked at how Tyrion and Danny all of a sudden are best friends and allies. So the almost unlikely pairing of a Lannister and a Targaryen. And you factored in that I think season five was really the first one that we got to see the sheer size and complexity of Westeros and, and the diversity in it. So you add in all those three things. We wanted to do an ambitious beer that showcased like a really unlikely pairing, but that also had like a really complex, you know, kind of really robust both ends of the spectrum beer and i think this is this absolutely crushes all three of that i, I love that you're on right now that, that we have you talking about this i can i literally hear the excitement in your voice as you're talking oh, about i honestly man like i this is this is going to be my first release like of the new beer and i you know i was working behind the scenes before but this is the one that like we're all kind of spearheading together in the marketing department so we are yeah we're going all in on this one for sure oh. we're located in cooperstown new york Check our website, omagang.com, for our hours. We do tours. We do tastings. We've got a fantastic cafe. We've got a ton of beers on tap. We've got a, a world-class tasting room. It's on located in 150 acres of just natural beauty. Everybody's oh. got to come out and check it you out. You guys throw There's, concerts in the summer? <laughs> we certainly throw a ton of concerts in the summer. It's ridiculous. Yeah, we, you know, there's our legendary beer festival. Beast Belgium comes to Cooperstown. You know, just go to omagang.com. Check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash breweryomagang. We're on Twitter, uh, at breweryomagang, and at and on Instagram at the same page. We want you all to come see the home of uh, Game of Thrones beers. So come on out. We'd love to have you. God, I want to go. I guess we'll have to see what we can do before New York Comic Con comes around because I know that we have plans and that's so far off. 2016 is just starting. I kind of feel like so many of us have taken cues in the past from what Beer Gang is releasing to sort of point toward the upcoming television season. So take what clues you can from what we've been talking about, <laughs> everyone. I have a feeling that everything is going to matter, all seven kingdoms. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be available uh, in March 2016. Uh, it's going to be available nationwide in uh, both draft and uh, those large 750 bottles I was talking about. Yeah. Um, so, you know, keep an eye out. And like, you know, Zach and Eric said, look for the clues because they might be in there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now I now I want like something in my beer, like right the, down at the bottom of the bottle to like a clue that I <laughs> it's an engagement It'll ring. Be book six. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> 
good book. <laughs> yeah, that's a great recap. Thanks. <laughs> I liked it. It's a good book. It's my favorite one. Was I like better it. the second time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I loved it. I loved Storm of Swords the first time I read it. What was so interesting was, uh, you know, as we were planning this episode, as we were putting things together, the initial discussion was to try and put together somewhat of a top 10 list from this book. And it's, it's virtually impossible to do that. Oh, yeah. Can I just say when you first put together this top 10 list that you forgot Joffrey dying? <laughs> I mean, look. <laughs> Who wouldn't forget Joffrey? Uh, <laughs> well, like to forget trying Joffrey. to and succeeding are two entirely different things. Well, it just goes to show how many top moments there were where you could leave something like that out in the initial run through. Yeah, the only way you could do it right is to do top eighty moments, one for every chapter in this yeah. book. When I made the the post for Watchers on the Wall, the Jonas farewelling to twenty fifteen, and like because we were obviously been gearing up over the holiday break to record this episode when i made that post to gather some of your thoughts there on the website how do you even begin so i didn't i didn't go through and find and i just thought i just thought about okay what happened what was so important like what what created these feelings what was you know what did we talk about at length on the show how did it make me feel how did it maybe make everyone feel and uh, just going through a list like that that's an incredibly shallow list not anywhere as good as your top 10 here in the doc micah <laughs> even that is full of of moments that um really made this book something special and now we get to talk about it as a whole i feel like this conversation has been a long time coming yeah well i don't know how many pages later that we're finally here able to recap this book but it's just one of those that really from prologue to epilogue it, it, it delivers and i know the other two books that preceded it were great and we all have our favorite moments from those but you can really get a sense as to why this was for most people their favorite book of the series because Literally, there are major events happening with every turn of the page. And this list is by no means all-encompassing, as Hannah mentioned, my omission of Sorry to put you Joffrey's on blast. You left out Vargo <laughs> Hote. Just a number for him. <laughs> yeah, well, he kind of falls into the, the bear and the main yeah. affair uh, storyline. But the Red Wedding would have to be the the most... Uh, shocking event, uh, maybe with the exception of Lady Stoneheart, but obviously you can't have one without the other. So <laughs> I would say the... <laughs> a little gallows wedding, humor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, an unbelievable event that is based, uh, you know, has some historical context to it. We mentioned it when we went through that episode. Uh, and I mean, I remember teasing it. I, I got a lot of flack actually for mentioning the name itself, like as we were building up to it uh, for uh, season three and um, worlds ago, reading it completely different uh, experience, obviously. And uh, yeah, I mean the mountain and the Viper, one of the most beloved characters uh, thanks to Pedro Pascal in the show. But I think we loved 
the Viper just as much, the Red Viper just as much in yeah. and also what that meant for Tyrion at that moment. Mm-hmm. So even even more I was just like to be so geez. close to redemption or absolution or whatever you want to call it and then having that taken away from him. Those poignant moments, like you're saying. I mean, I know you're doing a top ten, but like there was this this there were so many new things in this book, but there were also such a culmination of previous events. You know, like the Red Wedding was a culmination of what had happened in the previous books before it. And even though those books exist on their own and are good on their own and tell their own stories and have their own arcs, Ned's death at the end of Game of Thrones and all throughout Clash of Kings, Rob's journey, you know, to see him stumble, to see him fall in Storm of Swords and make that grievous mistake, which is paid for in the events of the red wedding and and having that be a surprise still to us because george is a clever writer doing misdirection and you just kind of you don't quite see it coming there's always one person in catlin who's like a little suspicious and a little uh concerned and superstitious but nobody ever i guess many people probably didn't really see that coming at all so the shock factor in a book this complex you would think that you'd be able to spot one or two of the answers coming because they're right on the page in front of you, but you still don't. You can still be surprised, and that's that was never apparent more for me than while reading this book. Yeah, and we move around so much, it's hard to be completely grounded in one specific, I don't want to say thread, but uh, our points of view change, and, and so much is happening, and it's not the same sort of thing. We have someone who's been who is essentially a rebel king traveling with his mother just just the way a clash of kings ended and you're gonna have to forgive us for the the flow of this conversation uh, minutes ago micah was reading from a top 10 list he created just to try and help us which is a very noble thing to do and now we're talking about something completely different but that's and there's really no way to speak about this isn't an episode where we're talking about a chapter or two chapters or a trailer. This is a, a book in general. We've done this before, but it's just different with the Storm of Swords. So much happened. Like I was saying, at the end of A Clash of Kings, we think that there's something possibly terrible happening to Jamie, and we're on the other side. We sort of hope and want and expect and don't really care, but here at the beginning of Storm of Swords. And I remember the moment we recorded this together, guys, when mm-hmm. we were sent off with Sir Cleos Frey and the adventure with Brienne was beginning, how just great that felt. Um, that's the beginning of this book. And we just left Jamie looking at the white book. And we just left Jamie skulking in White Sword Tower. This was, Yeah, this was Jamie's book. I mean, these were the first points of view chapters that we got from him. And it just... As as always, we're conflicted, but like we leave the book loving him, positively loving the man. Yeah, tell yourself yeah. at the beginning of Storm of Swords that you're going to be on his team by the end. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge accomplishment that George R. R. Martin accomplished. And Sam, <laughs> I mean <laughs> Sam, I mean he's he's in the opening <laughs> chapter of this book, right? Yeah. We we see him in the prologue, nearly he's, getting killed. Yeah, about mm-hmm. to get killed uh, by Chet before. Uh, the uh, horn blows three times, ah, and I remember I mean, when we recorded that. that. Right? I mean, yes, yeah. How amazing is that to open a book with that type of setting? Right, we get a little bit of that, I would say, in the first book. Right, it it, it opens in a sort of eerily similar way with Men of the Night's Watch, North of the Wall, North of the Wall, encountering some of the others, and. Then, of course, they pay the ultimate price at the hand of Ned Stark. But 
this is just I mean this sets the tone for what is just an epic book from start to finish and uh, you know and, and just to think everything that happens north of the wall at the wall right we end this book Gosh. with Stannis Baratheon <laughs> at the wall He's, at the wall yeah taking up quarters at the wall I mean the <laughs> end of the prologue Sam's would be killer pisses himself due to yeah. fear of a horn being blown. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's a storm of swords, and that's just the beginning of a storm of swords. Oh yeah, and I mean the stuff north of the wall that takes place in this book. Forget it. Like forget what you know from the show too. <laughs> the three night separate, sword. three separate, not just one big battle. Three separate battles. Hundreds of uh, hours of agony as the wall is, which is poorly manned, is built up in its defenses and is gradually attacked from every side possible not to mention the culmination of the book in the election of Jon Snow yeah. as the 998th <laughs> Lord Commander like real. he was with the wildlings yeah like, he was with the Eves that's completely like that's a beheadable offense <laughs> and now it's cool because the times have changed and you need to change with them or be buried by them in the ice yeah and one of the big things that I took away kind of looking back over this book was the the fall of the Lannisters, at least from what we knew them when this book opened up. Uh, Tyrion has a fall from grace at the end of A Clash of Kings. Yeah. He basically loses all the power that he had and he's reduced to what we see him as in this book. But more so, it's the other Lannisters who suffer. You know, Jaime losing his hand uh, Cersei losing Joffrey, uh, and the, really yeah, all losing Tywin, Tywin, yeah, losing his life. bowel control, yeah, oh. losing his bowels, and uh, <laughs> when when you see that, how greatly this family has been impacted over the course of of this book, a, a family who you really grew to despise in many ways for what they had done. They and and we'll, we can talk about the the reveal of of John Aaron, but. Uh, a lot of what the Lannisters do influence future events uh, greatly and, and result in a lot of our favorite characters uh, being killed. And so, you know, to see them get their comeuppance a little bit, I think a lot of people were happy with. But then at the same time, you get somewhat endeared to a character like Jamie. Uh, because of his relationship with Brienne and and how you see that develop over time, so uh, it's and Tyrion's always enjoyable to read, uh, and we don't know well we do know where he's going, but you know it, it's just like uh, it's it's amazing how and I know we've said this before on the show, but these characters you can completely loathe at one moment, but yet as you start to read them from their point of view you start to understand them a little bit more. You start to see similarities between yourself and them, at least in different elements of their personality. And I think like no, nothing is more apparent than with Jamie. Cause I think he did a complete turnaround for a lot of people starting towards like the latter half of this book. What was it? The opening chapter, uh, he considers killing Brienne as she's swimming back to the boat after pushing a boulder off of a cliff. Yeah, to rescue. she just like climbs a cliff face, dislodges a boulder, crushes the other boat, and she's swimming back. And Jamie has that thought mm. of like, "Oh, I, I could totally kill her." And now they're besties. Like he gives her his sword. It's like, 
how does how does that work? But like, it doesn't seem hokey. It doesn't seem. No, it doesn't. Mm-mm. I mean, because we're there for every step of the way of the gradual, like the dislike coming into like circumstantial humor, coming into actual like divulgence of innermost secrets in bathhouses. Yeah, I mean, the two of them have had so many great scenes together. Maybe it's shared loss is the great is the great equalizer. Shared loss and shared baths. Meanwhile, through all of these perspectives. Westeros has been built up. Like I said in the prologue, three blows for the others. And now something as simple as a bath between Jamie and Brienne paints the context of their relationship, but also allows Jamie, uh, with the help of steam and uh, exhaustion, to go into the past and, and illustrate that even further, which does something but build on the entire theme that we've been just, just talking about. It's it, it's great. And it's what you want to see in a story. It's, it's definitely done. And I just had a lot of fun reading this book. This is a great book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's so much more when you go and look at the evidence. I go and look at the Storm of Swords page on our website. Mm-hmm. The titles of our episodes coordinated alongside images from the show that are coordinated alongside things that happen in the chapters, and mm-hmm. it's almost like a, a chronology you can scroll through. Not necessarily a flip book, but I can kind of feel uh, all of the moments that happened along the way, and it's so interesting to uh, to think about. And it's not only limited to a storm of swords, but that's the book that we're that we're ending right now. And I think about Rob and how those concerns of that character through Catelyn's eyes were such important things in the forefront of how it felt. And you see it happen in a television season, and you understand that this is a big moment. But it happened at the end of the season, so I think there was time there for digestion for things to change. Mm-hmm. But the red wedding happens. In the, you could say the middle of this book, long enough for it to. There's so much book ahead of it. Right. George R. R. Martin didn't close with this. This was a piece along the way, and I think that, <laughs> that was such a cool thing because it turned into such an even. It just it it did so many things in this book. How do we talk about it? <laughs> I just I, I I just look at um this episode. I'm also on the website Love Jail, and it's this this picture of Rob just making this frown face. It's just like. <laughs> That's that's all I can see right now in my response. I'm trying to formulate a response. Gee, how do we talk about the Red Wedding and Rob's journey? Mm, I'm just going to see him making this face. Like, he was a flawed king. Not necessarily on paper. He had this, he had all these, this bannerman, but seeing his loss of power, which actually kind of happened in, in between books. I mean, Catelyn sets Jamie free and is imprisoned for it, but ultimately his unwillingness to punish Catelyn fully leads to sort of the the leaving of the departure of of his men especially for you know when the car starts get involved and you see rob's downfall as much as you see the lannisters it's just that the lannisters are a little harder to kill um as it turns out but you know it's it's at, nobody had necessarily a, a wholly positive good book except danny you know the targaryens like she gains an army in this in this book she, she loses goes, a jorah she does lose a jorah but she also uh, she gets a kiss from jorah in the first danny chapter so i was a little hopeful but that relationship doesn't go exactly as expected which is par for the course like relationships going into this book you kind of you there's no, almost no way to predict where it's going um based on where you've been but at the same time it's not like he pulls this big uh 
loop on us or, or throws us anywhere. Like they, these characters all have a natural progression. It's just the world is getting tougher to live in. In the aftermath of Blackwater, you know, the Lannisters have really asserted themselves even further. And it's no longer looking like it's going to be this this peaceful place that it was, I guess, you know, with Robert, but that was building towards chaos anyway. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just the yeah. the, the hope for peace, which should be, I think it's a Superman movie, but it should also be a book, a book of this series, is, uh, you know, shattered, I think. And you've got men like the Brotherhood, whom Arya meets, who are operating on their own based off the like the words of the now deceased Ned. And it's it's really interesting. You kind of... George took his time fleshing out rogue sects of people that exist in this in this world and unique areas and environments that we hadn't seen before. Well, and something that's been an interesting experience for me as someone who's read this book multiple times before, I've never read it this slowly. And to really go through <laughs> each chapter... It took us 16 months, I think, or 18 months. <laughs> I mean, uh... it's true, though, like having the opportunity to read at this much slower pace and really start to see the writing on the wall for a lot of these events that catch you off guard um, just because you know that they're coming has been such a cool experience because I feel like I've been able to catch these moments before the Red Wedding or catch these moments before Tyrion murders Tywin to really understand how George's mind is working as he's setting up these big events that, you know, all my other read-throughs have me- been me reading as fast as I possibly can to get to the next scene. So right. I th- it's been just been a cool chance to really like dive in on a very deep level. I would echo that too. I would just say the ability to catch things that maybe you didn't catch before or appreciate things that you didn't appreciate on the first read-through. Uh, there's definitely something to be said for that. Yeah, I think just sharing it with your friends, people that you care about as well, just heightens the entire experience. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't making this podcast with my friends, I would be listening to other people making this podcast with their friends. Because if you if you love something, it's great to celebrate it in the sense it just, it just makes everything so much more grand. And why not celebrate things that you really like? And in this case, something that was made so well. And it's fun that we get not only the chance to talk about it together, but, you know, while we're reading throughout the week and texting each other, like, did you get to this part yet? It's just, it's fun to have this shared experience. And I think that that's why we're all here. Really? Group group texts are fine when they're not coming at one forty one in the morning. <laughs> yeah, Hannah. Sorry. <laughs> I think it was more like two fourteen, right? Listen, uh, she was on that West Coast life. That's, yeah. just, you know, <laughs> that's how we do it. Be grateful that I text you at all. <laughs> wow. wow. We should be thanking her. Love it. Yes. That's that's like Bow chapter one, Jamie. She'll be chapter whatever Jamie by the end of this po- mm-hmm. yeah. episode. Yeah. I'm on my yeah, I'm on my Lannister. redemption arc. <laughs> it's just been fun Danny uh, we don't want to have this conversation about you know specific stuff that happened throughout the book because that's not you know that's that's what your owns are for but that's true too it's, it's so much you know she, she's becoming meanwhile Eamon's in at the wall I just wish they met I just wish I, you know so many things but well, I'm sorry. This. I don't want to cut off please, your mumbling please. <laughs> please I'm just saying think about who you thought would be on the iron throne at the beginning of this book and who you now think at the end of this book who who's a real contender for the iron throne and how much your opinion has or maybe hasn't changed on I just don't think there's going to be an iron throne That's safe I don't know if 
this is the episode for that discussion, but I just yeah, I don't think there's going to be an Iron Throne. Well, none of us know, so I can't say yeah, well. Sorry. Right. I'm glad that uh, we're wait, wait, wait for season six to show one up. One thing uh, that I did do, I, I created another sort of list that I, I cut down uh, a lot, actually, uh, and I left in some fun names, though this is not a list I think you want to be a part of if you're a character in Game of Thrones. Uh, it's the list of those who we lost in A Storm of Swords. Wow. Oh, no. Oh, man. We can set this to music, Micah. Your voice is okay. beautiful. You ready? Please. All right. And this is in no particular order. <laughs> uh, but, and and I will also uh, just uh, state again that this was cut down pretty significantly. Other characters who may as not were have some been of the as, characters. as notable uh, to readers or to us. But here we go. It's always summer under the sea. I know, I know. Oh, oh, oh. Lord Rickard Karstark. Craster. Lord Commander Gior Mormont. Lord Hoster Tully. Queen. King Balin Greyjoy. I know. Lady Daisy oh, Mormont. Oh, Small John Umber, Aegon Jinglebell Frey, King Rob Stark, Sir Titus Frey, Sir Reynold Westerling, Grey Wind, Deaf Dick Follard, Rast, Steer Magna of Fen, Egret, Miro the Titan's Bastard, King Joffrey, Sir Dantos Hollard, Vargo Hoat, Donald Noy, Mag the Mighty, Prince Oberyn Martell, Orel, Harma Dogshead, Poliver, The Tickler, Dalla, Shay, Lord Tywin Lannister, Lysa Arryn, Peter Pimple, and Merritt Frey. Can you do the list of people who live next? <laughs> <laughs> it might be shorter, actually. Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> I, uh... Interesting that that list, uh, at least, that was beautiful, did not Micah. include one Lady Catelyn Stark, and did not include the Hound either. Huh? You seen you seen the meme, right? Of uh, all yeah, the yeah, yeah. Colored post its that uh, people put or one person put inside those books for every oh, death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. so cool that someone did that. Also reminds us of many good scenes. Again, just the brave men of the Night's Watch to each of their battles that they died fighting valiantly for. Yeah. Of all of these moments that we talked about broadly, there are a handful that we ourselves must pick as being the top moments since our lady stonehard episode even before then we were getting emails we've heard from people over patreon we've heard i mean just owns 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 of storm of swords what is many people's including mine favorite book of the series so far who wants to go first who's gonna go first yeah you know i remember giving an own of a season to davos it might have been season three um for his learning to read bettering himself and in the books, you know, in Storm of Swords, we find him alive miraculously after the Battle of Blackwater mm. at the end of Clash. And he's lost, I believe it's four of his sons. And Stannis basically sent them 
to die. They were all fighting for Stannis. And at the end of the book, he's still with Stannis. He's at the wall, but this this time fortune has turned, it would seem. But he's still this unending loyalty that defines this man, this loyalty to Stannis that makes Stannis himself look like such a better person than he really is. Davos Seaworth is going to get my own for Storm of Swords. I mean, there are, of course, so many other owns, so many other potential and unworthy moments of the entire book. But just in general, Davos with his trump card of the letter about the Battle at the Wall, which saves many of the characters we care about, if not all of the characters, all of the other characters that we care about, were saved because Davos pulled that letter out um, at the right time and learned to read, of course. So he knew to give it the gravitas that it, that the mm-hmm. situation demanded. And it, it caused such such things to happen. That's good, Eric. Thank you. I feel so nervous about this. How do you, yeah, put, put Don't. it out? Don't. <laughs> like, how do you pick? Hannah, it's all a game. <laughs> <laughs> good one, Micah. I think I'm going to go typical route, which is me being very cliche. And I'm going to give my own to the Red Wedding. Just because mm. as somebody who was reading, when I was reading this for the first time, and even going back again, reading this the red wedding is one of those moments where i'll never forget where i was when i read this chapter Mm, and it's like the whole world around me kind of stopped and i read a lot of books but this is probably one of the biggest book moments for me ever honestly and so i can't help but give my own to that epic moment i guess and i love how there was no, you know, last ditch fantastical escape in this. When you walk into someone else's castle, you're at their mercy and that's how it works. And I just it's a great it's great. It's heartbreaking and yeah. terrible, but it's just this huge moment that was a big moment in my life as a book reader. So yeah. Owen goes to the Red Wedding. That was beautiful. And there was a number of times that guest rights was brought up by different characters in different settings. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I don't really know what to make of that moving forward, but I just feel the fact that it's so overly emphasized means that it's going to come back to play a, a much larger role, uh, maybe for the phrase uh, in particular, Hopefully. in terms of what's their penalty for what they did. Or mm-hmm. is it just like you said, Hannah, you're at the mercy of the person or people who you're staying with and that traditions like guest rights really just don't mean much of anything right i'll give my own to peter baelish kind of could have guessed that i saw it coming but it's definitely deserved oh absolutely i just think the the massive reveal at the end of this book Mm -hmm. when he's having the conversation with lisa that he basically put into motion this entire series he's the one responsible for everything that we've seen and we've experienced what's happened to characters that we have really, really liked reading. And, you know, if he wasn't maybe directly involved, he's indirectly involved because everything began with John Aaron and he's responsible for what happened to John Aaron and all the fallout that ensued from that point on Lysa sending the letter uh, to the Starks, to Catelyn, saying that she believed it was the Lannisters who did this. And of course, we know how everything played out after that. So 
my own of, of the series thus far, I would say. Not well, just wow. I like goes that. Goes to Peter Baelish. Yeah, absolutely. This is hard to do. Yeah, what's so... it going to be, Zach? Well, the thing, I want to give my own to a, f- a few things, just so. Sansa Stark made it out of King's Landing. That's a huge deal. She yeah. was she basically held the north for them. Not technically, but that was their plan. She married Tyrion. I mean, she's she's at the capital. And for her to subvert and exit, no matter who helped her, that's awesome. I think that Jamie becoming the character and I, I think that he's always been that person, so it's hard for me to say Jamie Lannister changed and because he changed he gets my own. I think he's always sort of been that person, but he's let his pride get in the way of making that sort of final decision to stop him from right. allowing people to see him in a certain way when he says no to Cersei, when he when he begins to choose the honorable decision over the decision that would maybe come easy or would, would, would burn someone for having the gall to think of him that way. Like the way Ned Stark looks at him and judges him and how that makes him feel and how that ma- makes him want to just be that person that... They think that he is. That's very unworthy. But I think that he was always sort of that person, right? I feel like he was always there. And Arya for traveling Westeros and making it to salt pans with Sandor oh, and man. being that piece of his life and, and helping him change and, and make sense out of so much of the chaos that was his life after leaving Blackwater the way that he did is huge. But yeah. I think that Jon Snow for being on separate sides of the wall and to come back and be elected Lord Commander of the Night's Watch has got to be my own of the book. That's just Hell if, I, if yeah. I didn't see that in the show beforehand, I would have literally flipped shit on <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty amazing. And there's so many other moments. It's hard to to just say I didn't plan. Sure, so that's that's it. From my heart to yours. That's a good one. And now we're tasked with, I, I want to say wading through, but that has a negative connotation. We're going to swim pleasantly through uh, the festival of owns your favorite moments sent to us um, in various different ways. Dedicated, loyal listeners of the podcast who traveled with us through A Storm of Swords. You began with us just like Jamie began his story, just like Sam began his, just the way we all began as a storm of swords and now we're out on the other side and this cathartic release of your owns are literally sitting in front of us and now we get to read them too i have to say that usually i try not to read them very much before we record so i can kind of i guess react to them as i read them but i could not as soon as we put out the call for owns for this episode i couldn't help but every time a new one came <laughs> in just like waiting to hear what people said so it's been fun to read everybody's as we do so this, does guys. that mean you want to read the first one? <laughs> I can if you want me to. So our first own comes in via email from Nick Hartley, who does not sew, um, who says, for me, my favorite moments from A Storm of Swords were the ones that took place at High Heart. I really enjoyed trying to figure out what the old woman's dreams meant. Were they real events that would come to pass or just something to tell the Brotherhood to get a song and some wine? My own for the book and really the first three books goes to Littlefinger. I still love the reveal that for 2,435 pages, I hope you counted, we've been falling or we've been we've been Been reading, reading. Thank you. We've been reading falling action based on his plots and schemes. 
Thanks again for a great reread of the best book I've ever read. I've got my copy of A Feast for Crows ready when you guys are. Nick Hartley does not so. <laughs> uh, heading on over to our Facebook wall, Reese Palazzolo says, My own first Storm of Swords goes to Sam for probably developing the most out of all the characters in the book. At the very start of the book, we saw him as a bumbling mess ready to give up and just roll over and die in the haunted forest. <laughs> and from there, we have seen him kill a White Walker, protect Gilly and her babe all the way to the wall. Ride on a giant elk with gold yeah. hands and rig an election. <laughs> go Sam. Yeah, yeah. I, re- go, I go back to add Sam to my soliloquy before. Yes, yes, Those are all really great points. I know we talked a lot about Jamie, but I think that Sam definitely is uh, somebody to be considered in terms of uh, growth and development as well. Christina Klein on Facebook. A single own for Storm of Swords? It should go to George Railroad Martin for enriching our lives and blowing our minds chapter after chapter because no one has ever finished their first read of this heart-wrenching, gut-punching, tear-jerking, belly-laughing, terrifying, inspirational portion of the larger picture yet to come and said, meh. And if they did, this about sums them up. A god's would without gods as empty as me. Railroad Martin. <laughs> I wonder if he ever got called that in school. Railroad? I don't think the R is. That'd be good, like a then. good professional wrestler name. <laughs> Maybe that's what he'll do after George he retires Railroad from being an author. Oh man, <laughs> do that. Like wearing one of those uh, outfits, like King Kong Bundy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just and wear the suspenders. The yeah, like I'm Rikishi. Just it. the suspenders. I'm just wear Rikishi's outfit, please. Our next stone comes from Jesse Naftali, who asks, "Just one." <laughs> Storm of Swords is the most action-packed book in the series. There are too many brilliant ones to say, but I'd have to pick a nod to one of the most epic scenes of the book. Of course, it must be read with the accent. Oh, fuck. Do it. All right. (laughs) Elia Martell, Princess of Dorne. You raped her. You murdered her. You killed her children. As we prepare to read some of the best chapters of the future books and meet the rest of the Martells. Oh. I guess Jesse broke her own rule. Also, second own goes to Jamie Lannister for <laughs> if that <laughs> it was that white cloak that soiled me, not the other way around. As he embarks on his redemption arc, becoming one of the most interesting characters in the series. So thanks, Vargo <laughs> Hote, for ordering your man to chop off Jamie's sword hand. Thanks, Vargo. And uh, Travis Cole has a great follow up own for that he says Brienne of Tarth for biting off Vargo Hote's ear and sending him to his ultimate demise too late in my opinion <laughs> my opinion. cold hands for rescuing Sam Gilly and little Sam and for riding an elk it's a great elk badass elk <laughs> Varys, for, Varys for telling Tyrion exactly where they were at in the tunnels of the Red Keep so he could get his revenge on Shay and his father Jamie for becoming a character I could actually like and sympathize with and of course, George R. R. Martin for blowing my mind. Couldn't believe how much action was packed into this book in such a short amount of time. Chapter closeness wise. Glad the showrunners broke this up into two mm-hmm. seasons because it's almost too much to wrap my head around at once. That's I agree. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And some still spilling into season five. So it's, yeah, I mean, so, so cool. Yep. Yeah. Sarah Ditcher says, Ode to Littlefinger for this badass quote. Always keep your foes confused. If they are never certain who you are or what you want, they cannot know what you are like to do next. Sometimes the best way to baffle them is to make moves that have no purpose, 
or even seem to work against you. Remember that, Sansa, when you come to play the game. What? What game? <laughs> the only game. The Game of Thrones. Boom! I love that. The game Title of drop. me yeah. loving your Well, not, not technically. Not in this book. Well, series drop, I guess. <laughs> Layla Sohal Ahmed writes, Own for Jon Snow, parenthetical always, There are older men, better men. I am still as green as summer grass. I'm wounded, and I stand accused of desertion. His mouth had gone bone dry. Aye. Wait, no, that's the same person. Aye, he managed. As he took over the command of the wall, he kicked ass. He did. It's a good yeah. book for John. He did. Good book for Sam. Good book for everybody. Started from the bottom. Yep. Mm-hmm. Of the wall. And then of the wall. Actually <laughs> came back and took yeah. that little lift up. Yeah. Took it on the other well, side. Well, Jen Calhoun writes. Owned to Jamie for losing a hand, but gaining our support, sympathy, or understanding. Of course, at times, he can still be the jerk we love to hate. But the fact that his actions in this book can make us sometimes forget that he pushed Bran out of a window is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Hashtag Transformation Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Is that a thing? Yes. I, I don't. Is it? Have you not sure. seen like gym selfies of people like Transformation Tuesday? No. No. You guys got to get on Instagram a little more often. People don't still take gym selfies. Yes, right? they that was, do. was like when Twitter was little. No, it's still a really? real, real thing. Whoa. And if people it's are also... doing it, keep at it. Whoa. Too cold Tuesday. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. No. I saw you tweet like that. you did. Yeah. It was trending number one, so I was like, I'll use it. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm not too well, good. I retweeted either. you. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. <laughs> Always, Micah. <laughs> Jennifer Bandel says, just one own. Same. Uh, I suppose it must go to George R. R. Martin for creating a novel which brings so many highs and lows. We lose characters we l- both love, like Rob, Kyle, and Negret, and hate. Like Tyr- like Joffrey and Tywin. I almost said Tyrion. Making us wonder what in Westeros will happen next. From the first chapter on the fist of the first men, when the three horns blow, to the end when we are shown Lady Stoneheart, every page is an epic journey. And I just realized the prologue and the epilogue involve the undead. Yep. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Shannon Spicer. Own of a Storm of Swords goes to Tyrion. He's just awesome. Gets the own not only for his incredibly amazing act of killing Tywin, but also for not being afraid to make light of his situation. My sister has mistaken me for a mushroom. She keeps me in the dark and feeds me shit. (laughs) Okay, that might be one of the best lines of the book. Now that I've read it. Jeff Thomas, own goes to the others for owning Chet, Small Paul, and the entirety of the Night's Watch. Another to that lowlife who's bolt <laughs> for knowing the exact moment to abandon a sinking ship. I still can't wrap my mind around Rob appointing Bolton of all his lord's bannermen to lead his foot east, nor being such an honor-bound dunce to bring Jane along as queen. Ugh. Damn you, Theon Turncloak. <laughs> Daryl K. Patterson writes, No brainer. Okay. Good to know that you had less of a hard time than we all did. Queen Daenerys Targaryen and her, how should I say, acquisition of the Unsullied. I read this scene three years ago, and I remember like yesterday, jumping with delight. Truly one of the best written scenes in the series, and in my opinion, true confirmation that this woman was not to be underestimated at all. Dracarys. And just below that, Samantha Gwizd says, actually brings a science perspective to things. As a geologist, I have to give my first ever Game of Owns own, aw, 
welcome to the dragon glass that Sam used to kill the White Walker. George R. R. Martin's unintentional ode to the rocks was some good schist that the readers should not take for granite <laughs> as the series progresses. Nice. And we learn more about the White Walkers and their faults. I'm sure that I missed five yeah, there of the great geology, geology puns. puns. Okay, faults, granite, not granted. I loved geology humor. I, is this is, it doesn't get much better than this. Samantha, own to you, and also thank you for sending in your own for Storm of Swords. Dave Clark, own goes to the epilogue for giving us both a spine-tingling ending. Just think about your spine being tingled. Ending to the book and a solid source of potential foreshadowing that allows us to hope for a Jon Snow resurrection in book six slash season six. And Ariadna Quiano writes, well, there are far too many owns in this book, but my own will go to, as much as I hate to say this, Littlefinger, because without his cunning and horribleness, we wouldn't have this story at all. He triggered everything that happened, so there. Cameron Ross says the own of the book has to go to House Frey and House Bolton. It can be argued that they were underestimated at first, but by book's end, they're in better positions than even the Lannisters. <laughs> the king in the north arises. Seems we killed some of your men, your grace. Oh, but I'll make you an apology that will mend them all again. Hashtag, it's a nice day for a wedding. Hashtag, Bolton better have my money. <laughs> That's a really great hashtag. Daniela Harker says, it's so difficult to pick one own, but I guess it has to go to Peter Lilfinger Bellish. In this book, we really start to discover just what he's about and how much of the events so far he is responsible for. He's been playing the Game of Thrones all along, and now he's schooling Sansa on how to be a formidable player herself. On a personal level, though, the epilogue owned me the first time I read it. It made me late for work because I couldn't <laughs> stop reading it, and then spent the rest of the day randomly saying, what the fuck, whenever <laughs> awesome. I had a couple of minutes from my mind to return to processing what I'd read. Bravo, George R. R. Martin. Bravo. That's awesome. Bravo. Emily Bryce, owned to the Goo Crew for encouraging me to read the books and providing me with the best book I have ever read. Also, reading it in tiny pieces really made all the details shine. Hashtag George R. R. Martin is a god or a wrestler <laughs> professionally. Well, Emily, thank you for reading along with us. Thank you. We're glad that the journey is as cherished to you as it is as it was to us. Mm -hmm. Johanna Getch says to Sansa, simply for getting through all that the book throws at her, including Red Wedding, an ambush wedding, Littlefinger, Aunt Liza, and remaining somewhat sane. Yeah. That's, Love that's her. pretty fair. Yeah. yeah. I like Sansa too. Morgan Heath writes, owned George R. R. Martin, for the descriptor that Cat's skin has gone pudding soft after becoming LSH. It may be the thing that has stuck with me the most after this book, and it certainly has ruined vanilla pudding for me forever. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Have a little cat's cheek. Have a little. <laughs> oh no! Brow. I'll just make that tapioca because mm. I don't care for tapioca. What? Ash Tiedki, Owen to Wikipedia. It spoiled the red wedding for me before I got it to it in the book. Oh, Unsure emoticon, but my fault for clicking the link. I know, and the spoiler did not lessen the blow. Rest in peace, Rob. Oh, oh Ash, that is rough. Yeah, that is rough. Kaylee Mark says, Owen goes to cold hands for being so mysterious, magical, and riding a freaking elk. Who is he? <laughs> what does he want? I can't wait to find out. Yeah, I will say, I want more of cold hands in the future books. At Heathen King writes, Jamie Lannister cleaning his soul in the bathhouse with Brienne. Such a quiet 
epic moment. I love that. Cleaning his soul. Mud Pancakes on Twitter writes, Danny wins an army of magical eunuchs who can never betray or rape her. A Storm of Swords <laughs> is probably the first time I felt Team Danny. That's one side of it. Two Parts Rye writes, Stannis was the manis, and let's hope that he owns a better fate in the books. Here, here. And doesn't burn his daughter. Please. Yes. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, Amadeus Knox. Short answer. Hashtag only cat. Long answer. Hashtag <laughs> little finger, you little fucker. <laughs> little finger as instigator of post 298 AL story. Yeah. Lots of emoticons. <laughs> At Manucular Bomb says, Jamie's entire arc, this book and series as a whole, is a contender for one of the most wonderfully written characters ever. Agreed. Also, yeah. happy Manu year, Manu. <laughs> happy Manu year. Yeah, that's, a good, that's a good Twitter name. At Calinadian Gal says, I want to say Joffrey's death. Beth is going to be the winner. Um, but have to go with Jamie for being the freaking man and saving Tyrion. Hodor's bastard gave an own. Over on our Watchers in the Wall post. A tremendous read, gooeys. <laughs> Enjoyed following along on weekends. My Storm of Swords own goes to Arya for shaking things up in Westeros during the day with the Brotherhood Without Banners and the Hound, and during the night while she warg sleeps. <laughs> That's right. And this is disgusting. Doran's <laughs> gouty foot... <laughs> which I technically know nothing about at this moment. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm missing something, but wasn't the Red Viper in A Storm of Swords? If so, that is by far the best part of the whole thing. <laughs> Pardon me if I'm wrong. Wasn't this the book with the Red Viper? Of course it, it was. It absolutely yes. was. Haven't yes, you been listening? It was. Clearly you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> and how could we finish the owns for A Storm of Swords without... A stunning, majestical quote from our own Micah Tannenbaum. Tell your father I'm here. <laughs> that was such magic. You took your time on that one. Mm -hmm. I could tell. Well, that was a that was a, a marathon of of emotions. There, I feel like it's we've lived a few days within these zones, having been inside and outside of uh, everyone's minds and how they felt about the characters going along in this book. I'm glad everybody else struggled to pick one own as well. <laughs> Makes me feel a little bit better. I think the listeners did a very good job across the board of, of tying together so many different owns from so many different characters and moments throughout the course of the the book. We we knew that between the four of us, yeah, we we'd have some good ones, but I think they definitely delivered. Yeah, we're gonna play the bear and the maiden fair at the end of this episode. So <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> Gotta close the yeah. storm of swords correctly. I'm just really excited because you know remember when we ended a clash of kings how it was we were yes we get to go into a storm of swords now how that felt well we've just finished a storm of swords so there's everything else so i guess that begs the question what is next and with this particular book really throughout the course of our entire read of it you the listeners did not disappoint with your owns so thank you there's much to be discussed here we have two books that lie in front of us and uh, I think I would be remiss personally knowing how uh, close it is, how near and dear it is to uh, my heart to not thank all of you for your reviews on iTunes as well. We didn't have the, to threaten uh, you guys much. No, I think the the, uh, the book spoke for itself. book spoke for itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> there, was, there was plenty of uh, unfortunate events that took place that I don't think additional threats were needed from our end. But, 
you know, as always, there is uh, just a number of different ways that you all can get in touch with the show and you continue to do so uh, on Twitter at Game of Owns, on Facebook at Scrawl Upon Our Wall, facebook.com slash Game of Owns, or uh, shoot us an email like Nick Cartley loves to do at uh, contact at Game of Owns.com iTunes is still operating in 2016, so you can uh, head on over there. Leave us a five-star rate and review. Uh, Nothing less than that is acceptable here in 2016. So, uh, again, just can't thank you enough for all your continued support uh, and feedback throughout the course of this uh, read of A Storm of Swords. And thank you for your support on Patreon. It's been an awesome year. And 2016, I think, just opens up a lot of different opportunities. I think one of the things I'm most excited about is the extra podcast episode that we've been dropping into the Patreon feed, just able to kind of go deeper into a handful of things, not only included to this stuff, but on other other topics. It's just, it's fun. Now, we know that season six is about three months away. So the question becomes, as it always has been prior to a show, how do we bridge the gap? What do we do between now And then when we will totally, of course, as usual, shift gears and talk about the show. But with two books ahead of us, two massive future books, the sequels to this amazing book that we just concluded now, the time has come to reveal what it is that we will be doing next. We've been approaching this point for a long time now. The months have kind of ticked by, but we've always sort of seen the finish line of Storm of Swords in the distance. Moments in discussions like either with our small council or just the endless discussions we've had with each other, just pouring over notes and thinking about how to approach all of this material, including the season that's coming and including all of our plans surrounding that. has just been a lot of deliberation, a lot of thoughts, and we have heard you. We have received feedback and correspondence and, and thoughts and well wishes for our plans post A Storm of Swords. I feel like, guys, this is our uh, our live journal post. <laughs> this <laughs> is the game of moments, not a blog. Well, you guys, yeah. we're not going to be writing the sixth book in time for... <laughs> yeah, we're in- guys, we're ending the podcast before season six comes. We're taking no. a long... No, that's... No. That's not funny. That's- game of Owns, we'll be mean. doing... I'm just going to say it. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. Bu- buckle up. Buckle in. Game of Owns, we'll be doing a combined reading of Feast for Crows, Dance with Dragons books and we're super excited about it right <laughs> we're really excited about it because we even for our uh, micah and i who have already read the books it's going to be new for all of us to be able to read in this different order that none of us have done before and i think none of our listeners have done before in this way either and so it's going to be really fun we know we know a lot of you uh, are very fond of merging these two books together and we've like i said received almost countless responses not only recently but just sort of reminders from some of our most dedicated listeners that email on a regular basis to the casual listener who made a twitter account just to say hey i really would like for you to do this it's a fun opportunity because obviously the way to go through these books are the way that george r, r. martin wrote these books that's how it was published. That's what makes complete sense. But for the sake of the podcast, for creating something that's a fun opportunity for us to increase discussion on lots of things, I think that this is going to be a really, really fun adventure. I would just echo what Hannah had to say. Uh, as somebody who has already read the books, it's a unique way to go through and experience it. So in a way, we all will be experiencing it like this for the first time and getting a sense of 
where characters are in the story a little bit more congruently and not, you know, jumping around and, and, and waiting a whole nother book to see a character uh, like Tyrion or, or like Danny, uh, who you really don't get introduced to until the earlier part of A Dance with Dragons. And, you know, those are characters that we've come to know and love over the first three books. Uh, and to be without them uh, is something that uh, we just can't handle. It hurt so too much. That, that, that's <laughs> the real reason. That is the true reason why we've decided to do this joint reading. You've spoken and we've listened. And we're very excited because part of this entire process, part of this journey, will be that this reading order is something that will be created by Game of Owns, along with some friends of ours that are, I mean, we can kind of consider them, right, experts. I don't know if there are documented experts in A Song of Ice and Fire lore. They've read the books far more times than you or I have. Right. So this is going to be something that is a, a group effort. Community effort. Trying this different approach is going to be a lot of fun. And it's fun for a, a very unique reason for Zach and I, which is that the show itself is facing sort of a, a minor departure uh, in that in previous years, Zach and I had not read ahead. We were kind of going along with the show and allowing that to inform what books we had read. Going through the books on the show was the first time that we had actually read these books. And that that will happen. We'll still be reading along with you all. But for the first time, Zach and I are not going to be <clears throat> unsullied. Can you hear the shock? I can hear the sh the shock is just, all I can hear. That just dropped like, out of nowhere. <laughs> you guys, we finally we we finally get to read these books. I know that that's a kind of a let me just uh, red wedding. Everyone who's listening right now, it's always been Zach and Eric are unsullied, and it's unsullied, and they're sullied, and that's just how the podcast is. But this is just uh, we're really, really, really excited. And uh, I've already read A Feast for Crows, so. <laughs> you, mean, you mean in the last week? You mean like it's oh, yeah. it's not like you 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 were lying to everybody about yeah, no, I, Sully before. I, holiday break, uh, A Feast yeah. for Crows is down. Well, the, and, funny, um, the funny thing is we talked about doing it this way. And then 10 minutes later, Zach's like, I already finished. And we're like, all right. <laughs> I couldn't stop. Yeah, so I don't it's blame been uh, just a... Uh, first off, I, we can't even talk about that. I don't even want to talk about A Feast for Crows right now, but I know that it's just it feels different. But I think it makes sense. And Eric, you kind of touched on this, but the fact that you do have season six coming up and we know that Winds of Winter is imminent. We know we won't get it before season six, but we know that it's going to be coming. I think it, it does really make the show... Uh, it's a change for the show, but I think it, it, it actually enhances the show. It makes it better moving forward because you are, you know, you have the knowledge base there. Everything has been put out there. That sort of major plot in season four and season five. So nothing should really shock you too much in books four and books five. Uh, I mean, I think there are some things that are slight departures. That's how fun it is. I mean, that's what I'm saying though. I mean, and I think the fact that we're all going through it, as I mentioned earlier together, you know, in this joint reread, it, it will all have the the knowledge base of what happens in both books, but we'll be going through it, you know, in this sort of combined reading together and experiencing it as if we're reading it for the first time, because mm -hmm. it's going to be as if it's uh, a different 
novel to us. Yeah. Just one big dance of crows or feast of dragons. <laughs> we'll figure that out. <laughs> Mike, and- you have a you have a preferential name for it. Did you prefer dance of crows or feast of dragons? I think it was dances with wolves. I think it's what he. Preferred. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> well, and as, especially as we come up to the eventually eventual release of Winds of Winter, it's going to be really fun to enjoy that build up together and to be yeah. all be on literally the same page. I think that that's going to be <laughs> I think that that's going to be really exciting. Cheese. To... Thank you Hannah for bringing the cheese. <laughs> Anytime. It's like, well, that was a serious concern for us from the beginning is like, well, say that book 6 is coming out, do we not wait in line at midnight like with everyone else and excited yeah. to get this book if we hadn't been there in the reading or do we wait in line, get the book and then just not open it like what do we do? So many confusions and so many concerns that we used to have. I think timing is working out really well. The light was at the end of the tunnel with the Storm of Swords, and I've not read from the future from Feast for Crows until the moment that we knew, like, okay, holiday break time, we're announcing it on the episode that this is what we're doing. There's not going to be Sullied and Unsullied anymore in Game of Owns. I just did what I think I've always wanted to do since we started all of this, and it's even more so just the anticipation for beginning the the reading it. And so now that that's done, The Dance with Dragons is next, and um, that that moment will hopefully come very soon. And then, you know, Eric and I will be caught up and this whole podcast, Game of Owns, is going to be just, like you said, Mike, a different but better because we'll be able to be on the same page as all of you and we'll be prepared for everything that is to come. And it's been a really wonderful 300-plus episodes of, of this dynamic that I'm really, really, really excited for everything else. And this is really crazy to talk about because, like I said, we've been thinking about it for a long time, but here it is. Well, that's all we have uh, for this episode. <laughs> I know it was a short one. Uh, <laughs> not too much information, oh, but uh, we do have a lot to look forward to. As was mentioned, uh, we can't uh, thank all of you enough for your support throughout the course of the year, in particular. Uh, but you know, this whole journey that we've been on together since before season five uh, with the Storm of Swords, uh, we're really looking forward to this joint reading that we're going to be doing uh, with these next two books uh, in the coming weeks as we go into it all wearing our sullied caps. I don't know what those look like, but if they look anything like the unsullied caps, they're going to be pretty badass. There, there was a fair, fair.